Let's say you just bought a house. Bad news is, you're one step closer to becoming your parents. You'll proudly mow the lawn. Ask if anybody noticed you mowed the lawn. Tell people to stay off the lawn. Compare it to your neighbor's lawn. And complain about having to mow the lawn again. Good news is, it's easy to bundle home and auto through Progressive and save on your car insurance. Which, of course, will go right into the lawn. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company, affiliates, and other insurers. Discount not available in all states or situations. Welcome to Creating a Family. Talk about adoption and infertility. Today's show will be on adopting tweens and teens, special issues to consider. Here's a sample of what we discussed. For every year of a child, you have to think at least a month or two of adjustment. So if you're bringing in a 15-year-old, you're looking at at least a year and a half for that child to fully integrate into your family if all goes well. I'm Dawn Davenport, the director of Creating a Family. We are the National Adoption and Infertility Education and Support Organization. You can find us online at creatingafamily.org. We are a weekly radio show, and we use the podcast model. That way you can listen whenever and wherever you want. You can also subscribe to the podcast to get notice of each new episode on your listening device, be it your phone, your tablet, or your computer. The Creating a Family radio show is proud to say that we are underwritten by our corporate sponsor, Faring Pharmaceutical. Faring is pleased to offer their IVF Greenlight program, providing discounts of up to 50% off of select IVF products. All cash-paying patients are eligible, and unlike other programs, there are no financial requirements. To get more information, you can go to their website, ivfgreenlight.com, or, of course, you can get information from your doctor or your um, uh, clinic, either way. This show is, as well as all the resources provided by Creating a Family, could not and would not happen without the generous support of our gold sponsors who believe in our mission of providing unbiased, accurate education and support to those struggling to create a family. Some of our wonderful gold sponsors include Spence Chapin Adoption Services. They are a full-service adoption agency bringing over 100 years of experience to a new direction, creating permanent loving families for children most in need, older kids, siblings, and children with special needs. Spence Chapin has eliminated the financial barrier by providing no-fee adoption services for families who can consider opening up their lives and their hearts to this very special population. We also have independent adoption centers. Their mission is to provide open adoption placement and counseling to birth and adoptive families. They work with families in all 50 states, and they are fully licensed in eight states. We also have Hopscotch Adoptions. They are a Hague-accredited adoption agency placing children from around the world, offering home study and post-adoption services to residents of North Carolina and New York. They place kids from Armenia, Bulgaria, Georgia, Ghana, Guyana, Morocco, Pakistan, Serbia, and Ukraine. They also do kinship adoptions. In addition to the gold sponsors I've just mentioned, we also have other sponsors that generosity allows us to bring you the resources here at Creating a Family. We ask that when choosing an adoption or infertility service provider, please choose one from the Creating a Family directories, which you can find on the service provider page of our site. 
You can search by location, services provided, uh, uh, adoption programs, just a whole host of factors that we think are important with choosing, when choosing. Uh, and when you use these directories, you support those who support us, and we thank you. On today's show, we will be talking about adopting teens and tweens, special issues to consider. Our guest today is Mark LaCava. He is the clinical director and therapist with the Modern Family Center with Spence Chapin Adoption Services. Welcome, Mark, to Creating a Family. Thank you, Don. You know, there are many children over the age of 10 available for adoption in the U.S. foster care system as well as in, in orphanages throughout the world. These children are some of the hardest to place because potential adoptive parents have have worries about the issues adopting teens and tweens might bring. They also there are so many preconceived ideas uh, in the in the uh, potential adoptive family community uh, about what it means to adopt teens and tweens. We ask our we ask that question to our online community, and these are some of what we heard of their their ideas or their concerns ahead of time. Uh, One said, you'll be in for a long, difficult haul because of behavioral and emotional issues that teens come with. Another one, you may or may not see the the rewards. Two, another one, the teen will likely feel like a guest in your home for a long time. Uh, Here's one, people around you will think you're a hero but won't understand or be able to support you in the way you need. And this will be our last one that I read. Uh, when adopting in an older age, the kids go back to their birth families as soon as they turn 18. Um, I, I think it's important that, that we acknowledge these preconceived ideas. Mark, I'm assuming that you have heard all of these as well, plus, plus probably many more. Correct, yes. Yeah. Uh, here's a question that from one of our audience, Jill, and I think it's a great way, um, it's a great beginning question. What are some issues that you should be aware of when making tween-teen adoptions that make teen-tween adoptions different, the same, more, or complicated than when adopting younger children? Um, I think that ultimately you have to really, you have to make the decision and you have to feel comfortable and confident with that decision, meaning that, you know what, I do want to adopt an older child and these are the reasons for it. And, it, you know, hopefully the reasons go a little bit deeper than because they can feed themselves. I don't have to worry about uh, child care arrangements and things of that nature. Um, you really you want to uh, you, you want to think about this developmental stage where the child is. And then you also with who if you're going to be working with an adoption agency, you want to get as much information on this teen or tween as you can. Who are they? How did they come into care? Um, how long have they been in care? What do what does the agency know about the trauma that these kids suffered, and what are some of their issues? Because a lot of these kids are going to be have diagnosis, but to be quite truthful, they have diagnosis because of what adults did to them. So we always treat their behavior, but we forget to put in all the reasons why they behave this way, which is really a reaction to the trauma and to the very difficult life that they've led before coming to you. So that acting out behavior that you might have heard about, it's there, but it's really masking other things. It's masking grief and loss. It's masking trauma that happened prior to being placed and probably, and not probably, and trauma that was experienced in the foster care system. And that trauma could be moving from placement to placement or having something happen to them in that placement. 
Let me ask you a question. So how would issues be different? Let's say you're adopting a six-year-old. Uh, all children in, let's say, foster care or orphanage care have likely experienced well, loss, certainly, and, and most have likely experienced abuse and neglect. Uh, so how is it different adopting a 12, a 12-year-old, say, than a six-year-old? What, what makes it more, or is it more complicated? Are the issues the same? The, the issues are slightly different. Uh, both age groups, there's going to be some complications, but there's also going to be a lot of rewards. You're going With the older child, you're going to be able to have more conversation, more back-and-forth dialogue. You're going to learn more about their lives, where a six-year-old is not going to be able to tell you about their lives. And you know that the um, relationship is working when the tween or teen starts to open up to you and feels that they can trust you, and that's where some of the reward comes in. With a six-year-old, you'll be able to take more charge. You'll be able to do more concrete things. Okay, we need, we might have an evaluation that says we need some occupational therapy. And, and these adoptions are very different when you're adopting a child from an orphanage as opposed to an adopting a child in foster care. Because a child in foster care, although they're going to have all these issues that I just recently mentioned, they're in, they're, there's a service provision that they, they are getting. Most of them are going to be getting some type of therapy. Things are, all, are going to be diagnosed. They're going to learn the language. They're going to possibly have some um, learning difficulties. But when you're adopting a child from overseas, you have to throw in probably more severe neglect because if you're born into an orphanage or dropped off at an orphanage at a very young age, one or two years old, we know that there's going to be cognitive cognitive delays. We know that the child then, on top of their already developed cognitive delays, they have to then learn the language. Um, so it's a different type of, and you might, and if you're a take charge, you know, very uh, checklist type of person, is, that'll give you a lot of things that you need to do and you can check them off and you can work on them. Where the older child, it's a bit more abstract going in there. Why are they behaving this way? How can I help them calm down if I do need to calm them down? The, what we're, how we're communicating isn't quite working. We're a little bit out of step. You have to, you know, it's, it's more puzzle piecing together. You might not have all the answers and you and the child be, will be able to work on the answers together more as opposed to a younger child where they're basically still looking for you to help guide them. And then when they're having a tantrum, you should still behave the same way toward it, but a younger child might be easier. Yeah, I certainly that is, I think that's certainly the perception. We got a lot of questions, as you might expect, from uh, our audience concerned about adopting an older child when there are children already in the family. Uh, Children, most of the questions we got pertain to children, younger children, but it could be even similar age children that people are uh, concerned about. Here's one from Larissa. She said, under what circumstances would it be okay to adopt an older child when you have younger children already? And then um, a similar question from someone else that said, how can parents make sure that the child is stable enough to not endanger other children in the home? So let's talk some about the concerns of older children who have uh, potentially been abused, then uh, uh, perpetuating that abuse on younger children within the family. How realistic is that? And, and what can parents do? What are the signs that parents need to be aware of ahead of time to try to prevent that? 
Um, usually in foster care adoptions, you will have that information, and you should be as inquisitive and ask as many questions in, you know, as you possibly can, and they'll be forthright in giving you the information. Then if you have information, because there might be sexual abuse, um, you'll want to know if the child has been treated for it, and if they were, how long ago? Had there been any other incidents of it? Um, and if so, when? So that you can kind of see if this was a one-time occurrence that happened and they were treated, then, you know, you have something to work with. If it happened and they, they weren't quite, you want to know the, the, the in-depthness of it. Was it child sexual exploration? Were they sexually abused themselves and they don't quite know how to manage it? And, and, and if that did happen, or lots of times when you have sexual abuse, it happens, and then I, it kind of goes underground during the tween years. Then it comes back out again during early adolescence because Pandora's box has been opened, but they don't really know how to deal with it. But they know that they've already been exposed to it. So you'll get some sex, sexually acting out behavior. Will they be acting out with uh, the children in your home? The best I can tell you is probably not, but you have to be aware of it. You have to be aware of your child and the children. And and before you do any of this, bring another child into the home, your children have to be on board with it too. They have to know that it's happening. They have to be a part of the process so that they can get excited by it. Uh, when you're adopting from foster care, you have the ability to bring the child into your home for day visits, weekend visits, so you really get to know the child a little bit beforehand. Not the total child, but you at least get to see them interact with your family if it's a good fit. When it's a, uh, an international adoption, it more is taken on faith. You don't exactly know who you're getting, and there's, a, there's high expectations. Uh, with both sets, it's a lot of work, and you have to be prepared for that. Whenever you adopt, from an infant on up to a teenager, you have to be willing to put in the work. They say, and I'll say this loosely, that for every year of a child, you have to think at least a month or two of adjustment. So if you're bringing in a 15-year-old, you're looking at at least a year and a half for that child to fully integrate into your family if all goes well. I, yeah, I've heard that uh, statistic as well, or not the statistic, the uh, uh, the kind of now, rule of thumb. Right. Yeah. Now, each month should get easier and easier. But it us what I'm saying is give yourself some breathing room. Don't expect Rome to be built in a day or a month or two. Sometimes I think parents come in with very preconceived notions that they're saving this child. And in a way, they are. But you also have to understand that the child is also interviewing you. The child also, you know, they've been in enough places and they have their own, that they kind of have a, a sense of what works for them and what doesn't work. And you want to, you want to ask them that. How, how you know, and you, you want to find out a little bit about their triggers, how they operate. And with an older child, you can get that. Um, I work with older teens all the time, both in foster care and in adoption. And so many of them do want to be adopted but they're very afraid of it. They've been in this situation before. They've had people that wanted to adopt them or said that they were going to adopt them and at the last minute they didn't. That's one of the reasons why they end up in care at later ages. Um, and they tend to take that on themselves and they tend to be very frightened that it, why does someone want me? And that's up to the parent to kind of convince them that they're worth having. And part of that convincing is having patience. There's going to be outbursts. There's going to be incidents, but it doesn't have to be the end of the world. 
the old expression, it's a marathon, not a sprint. Absolutely. Yeah. But it's a good but, marathon. Yeah. And it could be a, a fun marathon as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I do think that our society in general has such a negative attitude uh, about the teen years. Uh, and it gets in, in, in particular uh, the teens that are in foster care or, or teens without parents. Uh, and uh, in my experience, the, the teen years have uh, have been actually quite joyful uh, as the mother of, of, of teens now, I should say. Uh, let me also take a moment to say that uh, we have uh, done a uh, we have a number of resources on uh, sexual abuse and uh, parenting children who may have been or were sexually abused. We have done uh, two creating a family shows with terrific experts on this specific topic. So I refer you. I will. I will link to those tomorrow and in, in, in the blog tomorrow. Okay. All great. right. So uh, so we we know that. Uh, there is a great deal of concern that that somehow a that not somehow but that the children who have been abused will uh, abuse the children within the home. Someone else, however, uh, raised an interesting point, uh, and I know others think about this, and we just didn't get those questions. How would uh, they're concerned that their children in the home will be exposed to? poor behavior. Maybe it's typical teen behavior, or maybe it's an exaggerated form, the sneaking out, the drug or alcohol use, uh, uh, sexually, uh, sexual activity, or even just sexual information. Um, what, can us talk a little about that, the concern that their own children that are already in the home, uh, their existing children, will be, for lack of a better word, led astray by children coming in who have been who have been exposed to more through no fault of their own, but have been exposed to more of life and perhaps have had less structure and have had um, um, more uh, freedom to do as they will. Um, I would say the culture of your home really dictates that. If your children aren't used to or don't sneak out, aren't using drugs and alcohol, the chance that they will follow the new kid that comes in is very, very limited because we, as humans, they're more established. They feel more comfortable. This is what we do. For them to step out of their norm is not so likely. For the teen to eventually fall into line with your family is much more higher. Like um, possible, it's going to happen if nobody if, and they're not really going to be asking your children to sneak out with them. That might happen in, in, a, in um, a group home type setting where there's only teenagers, but I've, I've never really seen an older child try to convince a younger child to sneak out with them. And as the bonding process works, their desire to sneak out becomes less and less. And, and one of the things, I saw one of the, the questions on here, and one of the things that you'll want to work with your, if they do sneak out is not you know, set up a black and white, very rigid discipline. If you sneak out, if you leave this house and don't come in by a certain time, I'm going to lock the door and you have to stay out all night or this and this. It's kind of like when they do, when they let them know that, you know, your your curfew is this this set time. But if they should go over their curfew, it's like, ah, you know, we talked about this. This is the consequence. Make the consequence doable, not very harsh. But at the same time, when they do come in, be very, oh, my God, I'm so happy that you came in. I was really worried about you. I don't know what goes on in the street, but, you know, I, I care about you. That speaks so much more than harder discipline because they're somewhat used to that, 
and they don't trust it. They, 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 what, that's discipline. It's a discipline from someone who's almost a stranger to them is very hard to follow. Discipline from someone that they respect and has their best interest at heart is much easier for them to fall in line with, if that makes sense. I think that's a general rule of a good rule of thumb in teens in uh, in general. We've heard uh, there was on one of the much earlier. Uh, I think it might have been with Foster Klein, uh, one of our really early creating a family shows. He made an, a, a statement, and I'm going to paraphrase it. Uh, and uh, it was something like your uh, your relationship with your children in their teen years is built upon the relationship that you've created for the first 12 years. And so if you've created a good, firm uh, foundation, you shouldn't go into it expecting that uh, that the minute they turn 13, that foundation is going to be obliterated because it won't. Um, and that is actually uh, followed. That, that is exactly what my own life experience, as well as what I've read from uh, throughout all the reading I've done, would say as well. But that makes it more complicated when you're adopting a child that you haven't had the first 12 years or, or even the, even three of those 12 years uh, to establish a, a, a relationship with which, because I think a lot of parenting teens is relationship based. You can't mm-hmm. physically stop them from doing anything. Um, and if they are determined to break your rules, quite frankly, they're going to probably be able to do it. So it's, it's their relationship and they're not wanting to uh, uh, break that relationship or break that, that trust that, does more to keep them in line than your threats. So how does that work when you don't have those years in advance of their, uh, of their uh, teen years to, to build that relationship? The interesting thing is what we're finding out, there's so many different variables to this, but we're finding out that the, the adolescent brain is as active as the infant's brain, meaning there's a second firing up. So you can re, literally rewire some of those past experiences. Not that they didn't happen, but you can make connections again. And, and a lot of this is connections. It's the prefrontal cortex talking to the left and right brain. It's, uh, we know that the cerebellum, where all your emotions and your more primitive thinking in, grows again during the adolescent phase. So you can make things happen as you're parenting them. So there's always this possibility for change. We also know that not all these, not every child in foster care has had a bad early childhood experience. They might have, their, their mother might have been mentally ill, but they were living the first couple years with their grandmother and their grandmother got sick, but their grandmother gave them a good foundation and base. All that stuff that we know a child needs during uh, infancy, the, the, the looking at them face to face, to the knowing their cries, the touching, the coddling, all that is there, and then it gets taken away. So then, but if it's there, the foundation will always be there. You could then build on it again. Very few children don't, even in foster, they might come into a very loving foster home, and for whatever reason, the person couldn't adopt them, or whatever. There's so many different things that could happen. They've experienced a loving home for a period of time. And once a child experiences that, as humans, we want to go back to we want to go back to stability. We know the children like routine, like to know what's happening. 
in foster care, so often kids have no control over what's happening. So they might have moved from this really good home, and they don't know why. They don't know that the grandmother has been diagnosed with stage, I mean, the yeah, stage four uh, breast cancer, and she can't look after the, ch- the children anymore. All this plays into it, but the foundation is there. So if you're asking how to build foundation, that's kind. That's a different question because sometimes in um, in children from orphanages who've never really had a caregiver, it's a much more difficult task. And if you're going to do it, you have to. And I cannot stress this enough: you have to have the time. You cannot adopt the child and be working 10 hours a day, you and your husband, or as a single parent, be working 10 hours a day and only get to spend time with them in the evening. Part of this process is being available to them. Dawn, I cannot stress that enough because I see that. It's like, oh, you know, we, we're, you know, we're, we're, you know, we're a couple. We've never had children. We think that adolescents, but they're not really willing to change any of their schedule. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, I, I just went through that in a foster care adoption. On paper, fantastic-looking family, and really a nice-looking family, but they weren't able to change. You know, one, um, you know, if you're working, literally, that one parent was working 11 hours, the other parent was working nine hours. It could be some weekends. They had a nanny that would. That's that's not going to work with an older child, or it's not going to work well because they need you there. They need to feel your presence. They need to kind of test you like you're testing them. Are you really committed to them? Yeah. Do you really want them? That's a big issue. Do you really want me? Or in foster care, or did you take me in because you get money? Or you, so, and that's where the trust gets built. So if they have a meltdown at school or something happens or they get they do something and that you can go right to school and be their champion. Maybe not, or you know, okay, so my son did this. What can we do? And what happened? I want the full story. Not mm-hmm. have the child come home and it's 6, 7 o'clock over dinner, discuss what happened, and none of the key players are there. Yeah. yeah. Parenting is particularly older children. We tend to think that they're more self-sufficient. They will require less care. But in many ways, they require just the same amount of care. Uh, yes. They need parents who are, yeah. And and yeah. when it works, they're going to regress. So what, what, what is going to feel like it's harder is actually the child relaxing and kind of going back to stages of development that were missed. So it's not odd at all to really have a 14-year-old in your house that has a meltdown as a 9-year-old. And when that happens, or when you see that type of, they can't regulate when committed with techniques, uh, you know, to behavioral techniques and, and, and really kind of an unconditional love, you're, what you're really doing is catching them up. You're teaching them that you can have a disappointment, but the, and you'll find the meltdowns will get less and less and less, and that you allow them to repair, to come back to you. That I they're want to not too big they're not too big for a hug afterwards or to sit down when things are quieter and say, wow, how could we have done this differently? I'm going to come back to that in just a moment. I want to take a moment here to let you know that you are listening to Creating a Family, talk about adoption and infertility, and we're so glad to have you with us today. We're talking about adopting tweens and teens, special issues to consider. We primarily keep in touch with our audience through our weekly e-newsletter, 
we had two newsletters, actually, one for adoption and one for infertility. We let you know about the latest developments in adoption and infertility, as well as the upcoming week's blog topic and show topic. We also let you know what new resources we have added in those topics to our site that week. To sign up for our weekly newsletter, you can go to any page, top right side of creatingafamily.org. I wanted to come back to your uh uh, so I was very glad you raised this issue of regression. You've given the example of a 14-year-old who, is, who throws a tantrum as an 8- or 9-year-old. It might be more typical of an 8- or 9-year-old. Can you give us some other examples of uh, typical or not atypical, at least, regressive-type behavior that you've seen with uh, teens and tweens when they start feeling comfortable uh, and they are uh, regressing back to stages that they really never fully developed at? Uh, they might want to be with you all the time. They might get anxious, uh, separating away from you. They might have very, they might have difficulties with transitioning. Uh, all that stuff because they can't count on it. They can't count on coming back home from school and you being there. Uh, say if you have to take a business trip and, uh, you're going to be away for two or three days, that could lead to some acting out behavior before or after, or at both times, until they really understand emotionally that you'll be coming back. Here's a question. Uh, we had a number of questions that were all circling around the idea of how to uh, effectively uh, set limits and boundaries for uh, older children who are, are you are uh, bringing in new into your home. This one's from Andrea. She said, my concerns are that once a child has learned to be so independent and self-sufficient, Uh, at that age, meaning at an older age, I fear it would be hard to have rules and boundaries in a new environment. I would tell Andrea, absolutely not. There's always expectations, and children know that there's expectations coming into a a home. Um, Your expectations have to kind of match your child. How self-sufficient are they? What do you call self-sufficient and is it really self-sufficient? Staying out all night isn't self-sufficiency. Uh, you're going to have children who might be over-parentified. I mean, they, they might have been the older sibling, and it was always expected, even in foster care when they moved as a group, that this boy or girl would be taking care of his other siblings. So they have this innate that, you know, this is what they have to do, and you have to kind of re- help them relearn that. No, no, no. You're still an adolescent. I take care of you. Um, so this it's all about a learning experience, but it's trying to match them where they are, what they think independence is, what you think independence is. This is kind of the fun of adopting or bringing an older child into your house is because you can have these type of conversations. They might take a little bit of time, but when the child feels that you're open to them, they're also become more open to what you're telling them, what you kind of expect from them. So... Um, and you'll find out that most of these kids, they will listen to you, but you have to listen to them. Okay, so this is why you stayed out late. You know, you help problem solve with them. You wanted to see this friend. Can this friend come over to the house? Can they check in with you uh, up until a certain amount of time? So you, you start to bring in compromises with them, which helps some of this. You feed into their independence, yet at the same time, they're letting you're letting them know that you you care about them, you're concerned about them, and this type of behavior might put them at some type of risk that you would hate for them to have to suffer anymore. 
you know, one of the questions we got, and I thought it was an interesting one, because we think of adolescence as a time where children are um, gaining independence and, and learning to to spread their wings. Uh, but at the same time, uh, when we have a new child into the family, we wanting to focus on attachment. We wanting to spend. We want them to not be flying away from home. We're wanting them to be at home so that uh, we can spend time with them, so that we can attach with them. How do you balance this uh, gaining independence uh, and with the need for attachment? I think you're going to find kids in foster care. Uh, they're if you're including them in family activities and doing things with them, depending on the child's age, the older kids, it might seem a little bit awkward, but they're not used to it. And they tend to appreciate it. Uh, so you'll find that they do want to do it. Um, and if they don't want to do it, then these are conversations that you're slowly going to bring them around, slowly. So if you have four things scheduled each Saturday, all of a sudden you'll find them coming to one of them slowly you'll find them coming to a different one. But when you include them in activities and things and then even get their feedback for what um, activities they would like to do, you're going to see them buy into this. All right. Amy raises the issue that whether she would have enough time to bond with a child before they turn 18. And then she specifically is asking for suggestions of what she can do uh, to help bond with an older adopted child. So let's break those up. Let's first talk about uh, the, uh, the concern of, will I have enough time with this child to really make this child my own and to make this child feel of that, that I am their own? I would say, Amy, it's, it's a process. And depending on the child, it could take a year, two years, or I had, uh, I, I know of someone, it, it took them like five or six years because the child was highly traumatized, had poorly bonded, but the connection was there when she, because they, they come in and out of it. And the idea is when they're in it, each time you want it to be a little bit longer. And you'll feel that. You'll know that when you two are connected and when you aren't connected. And you'll make comment of it when you are connected. Um, and once again, this is a leap of faith. They might not love you the way you want to be loved by them for quite a while. And you have to be willing to accept that. But it's that consistency. It's that openness that allows it to happen. If you have a time limit on it, both of you are going to feel it. And that's and that's a setup for an uncomfortable situation. Like nothing is more uncomfortable to for when I see children when they go into a foster home and the foster parent tells them that first day, I love you. I, it sets it up almost for failure because where do you go from there? Love yeah. is both something earned and it comes with respect, and it comes from deep-rooted feelings. It takes time. Um, we are programmed as as humans to fall in love with our infants. It's it, it's it's chemical. It's that basic. Because if you can't fall in love with your baby, your baby's going to die. And if your baby can't fall in love with you, it's going to make it. It, it we're just programmed that way. But for older kids, it's a little bit. It's different. We're not programmed. It's not chemical that you're going to fall in love with a twelve-year-old. Yeah, it's such an interesting point. You're right. Uh, and so you have to work on it. I thought one other interesting point, and, and I don't know that, that that certainly my sample is not is not universal, but 
I think a lot of kids who are adopted at an older age don't necessarily move out at 18. Even if they're going to college, they may be attending and living at home for a while. Um, I don't know. Mark, what have you seen? I have certainly seen. Uh, uh, most most definitely. And, and when that happens, the process is working because they need that extra time with you. We find exactly. that quite frequently, yeah. that they'll stay home 21, 22, 23 years old because it, it's all a part of their developmental needs. They might not even be able to put a, a finger on it, but they want to be close. They want that, something that they didn't have, that safety, that permanency, that this is my space. So to leave it is very scary for them. And, and, it, and so it's part of their own emotional development that needs more time. So going into college, I'm so sorry, Dawn, going into college, they might be intellectually ready for it, but they're not emotionally ready for it. And and we see that here, we see that kind of frequently when adoptions are going well. And it it also looks like the parent has a hard time letting go of the child because they got the child at a later stage and the child, so it becomes a type of enmeshment. And is it bad? No, not really. You know, ultimately, you can't love each other too much. I couldn't agree with you more. I think, you know, we, we tend to think of enmeshment in, as being a bad thing. But in this case, I, is it enmeshment or is it just making up for lost time? Mm-hmm. It's, uh, it's a very fine line, but it's Listen. not pathological. And, yeah. and ultimately, when it does work, it then allows them to transfer these feelings that they have, this sense of well-being from you ultimately, so that as adults, they can pass it on to a partner. Their relationships are more stable. They can trust that what the person says they're actually going to do, which is one of the problems when kids grow up in foster care. And as you might be aware of the statistics, they're not very good that if you never get out, if you don't get out of foster care, your chances of a productive uh, adulthood are are rather small. Yeah, the statistics are, are depressing, actually. Yeah. Right. Uh, the, yeah. the ability to hold down a job, the, the ability to save money, the ability to uh, be in a committed relationship. Uh, the chances are you will pass on that same things that happen to you, to your children. It's very, you know, because this is what you're used to and there's nothing to connect you to things or people. Mm-hmm. To ground you is how I think of it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You are listening to Creating a Family, talk about adoption and infertility. Creating a family today, let me back up. Today we are talking about adopting teens and tweens, special issues to consider. Creating a Family has the largest adoption and infertility communities on the social networks, and they would be even better if you joined us. There are three ways to connect with us on Facebook. You can connect, like our page, which is creatingafamily.com slash I'm sorry, facebook.com slash creating a family. That's our page. We would love to have you like that. You could also join our very large and very active and very supportive support group. Uh, to access that, you go to creating to facebook.com slash groups with S slash creating a family. You can also connect with me personally, dawn.davenport1. We are also very active on Twitter and Pinterest, and you can find us there at Creating a Family. Uh, I, I enjoyed this question from Ashley. She said, we had 
we have our upper limit stated at 14, meaning at age 14, the upper limit of mm-hmm. what child they're willing to adopt is at 14. But we are coming closer and closer to saying that any age is okay. My hesitancy is that A, I never, I've never parented this age group, and B, I didn't care for teenagers much when I was one myself. Uh, I had to laugh at that second one. Uh, so, but we do, I, I do think that uh, a number of parents, if they, I guess there's, there are parents who have parented children and the children are either teens now or have aged out, you know, they have, have flown the coop and they're then adopting. And so they've had experience uh, with raising teens, but there are also people like Ashley and others who uh, either have no children or have much younger children and have no experience in this age group. Uh, how uh, going from zero to 16 uh, or 15 or 14 or whatever age in uh, in a day and, and all of a sudden being uh, plopped with a teenager plopped in your house and you're having to parent. What are some things, what are some issues that parents face when they have no experience and how could parents prepare for the reality of parenting a teen? I think first off, uh, you need to meet the teen before you bring them into the house, your house, and the teen has to meet you. There has to be a little bit of a connection. Uh, so you can tell the teen what your house is like, and they can tell you a little bit about themselves. What, uh, because they're also interviewing you as much as you are interviewing them. That's be- that would, because they're just older and they can do this. Um, it's not like when they were younger and people just moved them from place to place and they had no say. So the more you kind of know the child who's coming into your home, the easier this transition will be. And there, the answers are difficult because it's really your connection and your commitment to this adoption and also their commitment to the adoption in you. And this really could only happen as you get to know them. And once they're in your house, there should be somewhat of a connection. You don't have to be bonded, but there should be somewhat of a connection. And then you guys make special time for yourselves in it. You know, we're going to spend at least a half hour a day trying to talk to each other. We're going to find out, like, so if they like The Walking Dead and you say, oh, my God, I don't like that type of zombie violence. I don't want that in my house, that you can kind of say, well, hold it. If this is something that's important to them, I'm going to watch it. And then maybe together we'll watch it and I'll find out why they like it so much. So you you start to have things that you share. Um, and if you didn't care for teenagers, you kind of have to ask yourself, what was it about teenage you being the teenager that you did not like or teenagers in general and how have you changed over these last couple decades how would you you know you have to kind of see yourself parenting a teenager and that means being able there's some give and take if you're going to parent a teenager like you're going to parent a four five or six year old you're going to run into problems because the, the very nature of it even even if they need the emo, you know they're, they're they're emotionally younger their brains are also wired toward being a bit more challenging being very emotional that's really they can't stop that from happening now you add in the trauma it makes them even more emotional and but the idea is it's already in there so you conti- constantly want to be aware of how to help them rationalize and not feed into it not to feed into overt emotions does, does that make sense tom yeah, it did. And let, let me read. At, now, Ashley's husband also had his own concerns. And his concerns mm-hmm. were that older children will only be a part of their lives for a very short time, meaning that they will be with them only until the age of maturity. And then they 
then then he, he is concerned that they will leave to return to their bio families, regardless of what they may have endured there. His fear, he fears getting ourselves and our children attached to someone who doesn't want to be a part of our family. Um, and I, I've heard that before as well, this, uh, this thought that the pull of biology will, will pull these children back into their bio families uh, as soon as the kids reach uh, the, the age that they can make the choice on their own. One thing I'm finding out, which I found out for older kids can have two families. We, we, there are so many different things that place children into care. Uh, their parents might never hadn't been able to care for them for a decade or more. The parent gets themselves in, in order later in life. You've adopted the child. They can go back to them to visit them. They can have two families. We see that in infant adoptions. And we, we are going to see that even more in infant adoptions because we know that all adoptions are open now in the United States. So you might adopt the child at two weeks old, but you will have met that child's birth parents. You will have information about them. You will have email addresses. You will make a PACA that says that you're to email each other once a month or once every quarter and send pictures. So it's not so different for your for your teenage child to know who their parents are and as they get more comfortable to to go and visit them. But that doesn't mean that your role is any more any less. You're the parent that you're the family that they might come to for the holidays. You're the family that they come to when they have problems or questions or major life events. Their parents are someone that they share them with, their birth parents, but you're the parent that that actually works on these issues with them. And that's the difference. You can't say that because you come into my home, you can't have any other family because you're right, they might know them. And in this day of um, Facebook and everything else, if they have any information, they're going to find them. And we know here at, at Spence Chapin that the more open the adoption is, the easier it is. It's only when we hold back information that you kind of create problems. Well, you knew this and you didn't tell me. Or, or sometimes, lots of times, uh, uh, adult adoptees or late stage adolescents will be, they don't want to tell their parents that they found their birth parents because they don't want to hurt their feelings, but it's a lot for them to process. It's mm-hmm. so much easier to process these difficult emotions with an adult that you trust and who has proven to you that they have your best interest at heart. Let me ask a question about that with that openness, because uh, we talk about that a lot here at Creating a Family. We certainly know that the research is is uh, open adoption has been happening for a long enough period now, and the research is pretty clear that it is in the best interest of children. But oftentimes when adopting an older child, openness is not an option because of safety reasons or because the child was adopted internationally. So how can parents help their children form an identity of who they are when there is no openness? Um, what usually you'll find that with uh, international adoptees, and that's difficult. Uh, identities, it, it's, a, it's always a question that we have because there's always a piece of us, if we have no information, that's missing. Who do I look like? Do I have any health concerns? What was that eternal question? What were my parents like? 
how much of them do I have in me and how much that nature I saw on your site, that nature versus nurture, it becomes even more relevant with the, with the adoptee. So that's a very difficult question. I think that um, the more information adoptees have, the easier it is for them to solidify their identity. But how do you get that information? If it isn't available, let's say you have a child that's adopted internationally. Um, some of the things that we've talked about here are uh, you may not have information on their birth family, but you can get information on their culture. Um, and you can get information or, or in foster care. One of the things you can do is perhaps the parents um, are not are not functioning, but you can uh, go back and find an aunt, an uncle, or somebody in the extended family who can give you information. So along those lines, can you think of other things parents can do to help fill well, in the blanks? For right. There, there's, it's actually, there's such a difference between international adoption and domestic adoption, especially when you're talking about older children. Um, there's going to be a ton of information from the foster care agency. And what is often overlooked is there might be people that they've spent years with. Like I just recently worked on a case where the child spent from birth to five years with one foster parent. Now to take that foster parent away as if they never existed, that's kind of, that's extremely painful to the child and you lose out on all that early history. This person can give you all their baby pictures, can give you birthday parties, can give you any type of evaluations, can give you stories about them, something that they did when they were three years old, that then you could share with them as part of their story. Um, so the foster parent is is a very good place where you can get information. Sometimes you're even going to find that the case planner might have worked with that child or, or been the case planner for three to four years, and they're going to be a wealth of information for you. Uh, children who are internationally, you might never get those type of connections, but you'll do things like you'll visit the home country together. You might, you'll show them, you'll go to the orphanage where you, you, you pick them up. It's very difficult for the children. Lots of times these kids, are, you know, it's very traumatizing because they were, especially older kids, they weren't pleasant places, but it connects them to their past so that their past did happen. This did happen to them. It was real. They just, they didn't just be, they just didn't start life when they came home to you. And it's your ability to acknowledge this with them. One of the things I mean, I've... it's more than just like on international, it's more than just going out to Chinese food when, you know, because they're a Chinese adoptee. Yeah, exactly. Um, one of the things I wanted to uh, talk about some are the, what are some of the strategies that, that parents can use when to help them get through um, some of the more trying times of adopting a teen or a tween? Um, what are some things they, that they can uh, hang on to or even tried and true strategies that they can pull out of their pocket to help them get through some of the, the harder times? I, I believe that they should be prepared for that as best they can. Uh, reading, you know, books on adopting older children. There's so much on the web. They could even Google and then listen to uh, teen adoptees talk about their experience and pick up some cues from them. Um, patience, patience, patience. You're adopting this child for a reason. 
you know that they're going to be coming with some baggage. Your job isn't to add to the baggage or make that baggage more stressful. Your job is to the best of your ability, alleviate some of that baggage. And by that, it's kind of coping with them and not losing faith or effort in it because it does get a little bit difficult. But for the most part, if you're prepared for it, very few kids are going to be too difficult because especially with adoption from foster care, you're going to get a lot of information. You are going to meet the child numerous times before you adopt them. So all that will go into your planning so that when you make this commitment, you're ready for it. You must be ready for it. And, and that's it. that is it at its most basic. There is no silver bullet that I can give you because if you're looking for a silver bullet, if you're looking for a therapist to make all this well for you, you are an active participant in this adoption. You are as important as the child. So the more information you gather on your own, the more creative you are in gathering it, in building a support system, in staying in contact with your foster care agency, on blogging it, and you will find other people who have adopted older children so that you can kind of get some feedback from them would work because not everything works for every child in every situation. It's really the dynamic of the parents and the child together. Everything, you know, you must look at it as an individual basis, but these are some things that worked overall or these are some things that we can use. And if it didn't work, then you use something else. Like a couple, a while ago, I had a call in from uh, another state and they adopted two older kids from a Latin American country and their their expectations were were, were very high and when the the child wouldn't wasn't and they were they were, you know they were doing their best and they were really doing going doing a lot of wonderful things with them but if the child didn't respond to it it was kind of like you know um well you you you, you can't do this with us you're going to have to stay home which is the worst thing you can do, you know, with older children, you really want time ends. You don't want them to feel like they're outside of the family because they've been outside of everything. So your discipline is never about if you don't do this, you have to stay home. You can't come with us. They should always come with you, but then you'll repair it afterwards, if that makes any sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're looking for, um, you're needing to make up time. You're looking for time together. Right. You're not there to 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 punish them in a way that, that reminds them of their life. You're there to teach them that life can be easier, and this is how our family works. No matter what you do, you're still a part of our family. It's part of the commitment, and that's what the kids will buy into. And then the makes that behavior less likely, because I want to do this because I want to please you. Kids, all the, kids want to please. One of the things that we see with all kids uh, older kids, uh, regardless of their age, for the most part. But, but in particular, the more years they've been in the system, I think this probably happens more. And that is the issue of, of labels. And they're very frightening. They're also empowering. We want information as parents <clears throat> on these children. But I, I, I'm wrestling with the notion of, of the harmful impact of, of labels, uh, because many of these kids are going to have been labeled. Uh, be it ADHD, be it uh, oppositional defiant, be it whatever. Um, there just seem to be so many labels that are attached uh, to foster kids. Do you see that as well? Yes, uh, that's a really good observation, Don. And this is where you you really need to, to meet with your child and get to know them. Because I will tell you about 50 to 60% of those labels 
are wrong. Uh, foster care is and is a tremendous place where drug companies can experiment with their medication on younger subjects because no parent is going to allow their child to be in a drug trial. But in foster care, because of they have to do their best to get these kids in, in a certain, the kid is always blamed for the behavior and never the circumstances. Children in foster care are something like, it's an astronomical number, 100% more likely to be on psychotropic medications, and that's medications for ADHD, uh, oppositional defiant disorder. Uh, up until, gosh, I'll say five years ago, so many kids in foster care were labeled bipolar to the tune of 2,300 times more than in the general population. So you're going to hear this stuff, but you have to take it with a grain of salt. You have to see the child behind it. You have to see that numerous caregivers, caregivers where there's a bunch of other kids in the home where they don't get a lot of one-on-one attention, once you start to focus on the child, and if the child does have some behavioral issues, a good therapist will really start to chop away at that. We see that happen so frequently here. I mean, I, I work with because of my work with Spence, I also work with foster care agencies. So many of these kids have these diagnoses and their own medications, and we know that it's a, it's a symptom to everything that happened to them, that it's not biological, and good parenting will really help cut down on that. There's very, there's, the, the, the level of ADHD in society is actually much lower than what the diagnosis is given. Yeah, Children can't express their grief. They act it out. And then when they act it out, this child has this, 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 and this, and and that's where you come in and you see the child and not the diagnosis. So be very skeptical of the diagnoses that they're given and how long they've been, and, and ask questions. Well, let me see. They've been, they've been diagnosed for ADHD for three years, four years, and you've had them on this medication. Did it work? Why did, why are you upping the medication? Why are you, obviously it's not working if you're, if you're increasing the medication. If it's working, it should be stabilized and eventually de- decrease to get off of it. And that's fascinating what you said about the, um, that, that this is a, that drug companies are able to uh, try their medications out. And even if it's not through a sinister reason that they're, they're legitimately, no, no. they believe these children are legitimately in need of it. Uh but the, the uh, there was an article oh, quite a few years ago about the drugging of U.S. foster care, uh, and uh, it was really frightening. Uh, how many how, how often uh, foster kids are on some form of psychotropic psychotropic drug? Yeah, yes, yeah. Was, for, for numerous it? reasons. Yeah, it's, for numerous. I, I have it, and I've got these. I have it because I actually just was reading another article, maybe a month or two on it. So I can't. I can go you know into. I, I will blog on this. I will uh, after the show, Mark. I will email you, and we'll get. The, you can get me this information on that article, and I will blog on this as a separate uh, topic because it is one that I'm absolutely fascinated about. It, I I feel bad for uh, parents because uh, prospective parents because you we're, we tell people read the label, go in with your eyes open. Not read the label. I'm sorry. Read the file. Get the whole file, not just a summary. Go in with your eyes open. Uh, you know, don't put on rose-colored glasses and, and bring these kids into your home and uh, w- with unrealistic expectations. We say all of that. On the other hand, I, I can't help but think that that some of these labels are just slapped on because it's, as you say, it's it's easier to label a kid as 
problematic than to explore deeper and realize that the kid is acting out the symptoms of uh, the symptoms are a result of what the child has been exposed to or what's happened to his child. Correct. Here's some loose statistics. Children in foster care are three times more likely to receive a mental health diagnosis, two to three times more likely to be prescribed psychotropic medication, 72% more Seventy-two percent of those are taking two or more psychotropic medications. Mm. So when you, we have, we must think that these are the brain is still developing, the body's still developing. What does it do when the child's on Wellbutrin and Concerta for four or five years, or Seroquel and um, Abilify? Yeah, that's it's really it's interesting. Yeah, I will. Uh, I'll ask for that uh, article, and, uh, and it may be a week or two, but I'll uh, I'll get that out, and we'll actually add it up to our um, if it's uh, research based. We'll we'll put it in the research section of our site as well. All right, you are. Uh, thank you very much for that information. I think that was uh, fascinating. Let me take a moment now to thank a few more of our gold sponsors, and to remind you that it is through their generous support that we can bring you this show, as well as all the resources that we provide. We have Children's Connection. They are an adoption agency with offices throughout Texas, providing domestic infant adoption, embryo donation adoption, home studies, and post-adoption support to families throughout the United States. We also have the law offices of James Fletcher Thompson, a South Carolina firm committed to adoption and assisted reproductive law, and Nightlight Christian Adoptions. Uh, they, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, Light Light Christian Adoptions has uh, offices in California, Colorado, South Carolina, and uh, they offer adoption programs throughout the world, as well as a domestic infant program and their Snowflakes Embryo Donation Adoption Program. Well, we have come to the end of our time. If you have enjoyed the show, do us a favor and please give us a rating on iTunes. We are rated Uh, Number one, uh, for the areas of adoption as well as infertility, we'd like to keep it that way, and it really helps us very much. If you would give us a rating, you can uh, go to uh, iTunes on your phone or computer and just type in Creating a Family and rate us. Or the easier way is go to the radio page of our website at creatingafamily.org slash radio show, and you can, from that point, uh, go to uh, click on iTunes and you will be able to uh, be able to reach us that way as well. Um, thank you so much, Mark Lacava, for being our guest today on Creating a Family. If you want to participate in a discussion of the topics of this show, check out my blog tomorrow at creatingafamily.org slash blog. To get more information, you can go to our website and click on the Spence uh, Chapin logo, and it will take you right to their website. Their website is spence hyphen Chapin, C-H-A-P-I-N dot org, or to contact Mark or get more information on the Modern Family Center, you can go to their website, which is modernfamilycenter.org. Thanks for joining us today, and I will see you next week. The Starlight Lounge presents An Evening with the Progressive Box. Yeah. That's Hugo, tickling the ivories. He just saved by bundling home and auto with Progressive. Gonna finally buy a ring for that gal of yours, Hugo? Send her my condolences. Hi-oh! This next one's for you, too. 
there's a burglar in my heart. Thank you. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Discounts not available in all states or situations. The Starlight Lounge presents An Evening with the Progressive Box. Old moon, yeah. That's Hugo, tickling the ivories. He just saved by bundling home and auto with Progressive. Gonna finally buy a ring for that gal of yours, Hugo? Send her my condolences. Hi-oh! This next one's for you, too. There's a burglar in my heart. Thank you. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Discounts not available in all states or situations.